Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are breaking down an exciting Knicks win, one twenty-three to one twelve over the Atlanta Hawks. And Gavin, this was this was Julius Randle's day, man. The last day of All Star voting, he gets forty-four points in this game. A season high, one off a career high for Julius Randle, and it epitomized the evolutions in his game. Alex, we'll get into why throughout this episode of Locked On Knicks. Also, a big show from the bench unit, Derek Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, once again, proving their bona fides as a backcourt. And some big shots from R.J. Barrett, two threes down the stretch to help lead the Knicks to victory. All that and more off of a big win for the New York Knicks right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I am Alex Wolf. I am the editor-in-chief of Knicks blog, The Strickland, which you can find at the strict.land in your web browser. He is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play, announcer by day, Knicks podcaster by night. Uh, pod Batman, and <laughs> love, loving it. it yeah, I, I don't deserve it, but love the nickname. Yeah, I'm just I'm keeping it going. You know, it's how you make these things stick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we are recapping, as we said, awesome Knicks win, Gavin. I don't know if a single game has made me happier than this one this year. I mean, uh, the it just had everything. The the Randall showing out, RJ bouncing back, quickly killing it off the bench, like. Uh, starting or sorry a closing lineup that I would love to be the starting lineup like it was just a perfect closing lineup for the Knicks they they closed the game with uh quickly Rose RJ Julius and Noel which obviously you would want Mitch in there ideally but you know not not possible at the moment but that was perfect um just it it had all the the makings of a game that in previous Knicks years would have been an automatic loss because the Knicks went up big early. They, I think they went up by as much as 14 uh, in the first or second quarter. And then the Hawks kind of, you know, chipped away and got back and got back and Trey young got, I, I don't, you can't even call them James Harden calls because he doesn't actually work for them. Like he just shoots. And if someone happens to be within a couple feet of him, they get called for a foul. That's just the rules with Trey Young, I guess. Like he's he's not allowed to shoot with anybody within his space, or he just gets a foul call. There was literally there was two, uh, not to not to like derail too much early on here, but there was two things. One was Derrick Rose was just keeping up with him and had his hands literally behind his back to avoid a foul call, and they called a foul on Derrick Rose on a. Uh, a Trey Young, like just kind of desperation flip up that wound up going in uh, as he was kind of working his way towards the the baseline. And then there was another one where Taj Gibson 
was again just kind of tracking with him and then went straight up with his arms straight up in the air didn't swing at at young or anything got called for a foul very stupid Tibbs was very angry um but you know it ultimately didn't matter that but that was the sort of stuff that could traditionally in past years derail the Knicks the Hawks even came back got a lead uh I I think their max lead was seven in the third quarter and things were starting to look really bleak and then Julius Randle, who had scored 17 points in the first quarter, turned it on again and scored a ton in the second half and in the fourth quarter, as well as R.J. Barrett, as well as Emmanuel Quickly. It was just like the most perfect euphoric ending to the game. Uh, so many great plays and stuff to get into, Gavin. But like, where did you want to start with this game? Uh, although I think obviously we could say Julius Randle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know. I know I've been deemed a Randle hater in the past, but even I can I heard I heard you were his biggest fan. Yeah, I did I hear there, wrong? There have been there have been conflicting reports. The truth is that I've I followed him. I, I've been a big fan since he was in middle school, which is when also when I was in middle school and I started a Julius Randle centric scouting service. If you have an AOL email account, you're probably getting my blast on the daily. Everyone gives Macri credit for starting the newsletter. I was fifteen years ahead of the game. It was all about Randall. Always loved Julius Randle. Anywho, he was incredible tonight. 44 points, as you noted, one off a career high that he set with the Pelicans. Nine boards, five assists, 14 to 22 from the field, 9 to 12 from the charity stripe, and a number he has literally never done in his entire career. Seven three balls on 13 attempts, epitomizing the change in his game. I I thought it was crazy, Alex, for for a little post-game Locked On Now video that we dropped. I went back and I looked. I'm sure I've referenced the stat before, but Randall has shot better than 30% from three exactly one time in, in his previous five years that he actually played in the NBA. He missed his first year with a broken leg. Um, that season, New Orleans, the year before he signed with the Knicks, the Knicks, he was at 34%. This year, he's well over 40. And, and that that was encapsulated on the night. He was electric in the early going, hitting three threes in a row, got hot again in the third quarter, and then made the biggest one of the game down the stretch over the outstretched arm of Clint Capella to essentially seal the game. If that wasn't enough, if the Hawks didn't know it was over, he comes back, shot clock winding down, fader falling out of bounds, insanely high degree of difficulty on the shot. Doesn't matter. He got that one too. It was over. Atlanta was going back home with the L. Um, an outstanding, outstanding outing for Julius Randle. And, and as I noted before, it, it wasn't just the three-point shooting. There, were, there was a lot of this game that epitomized everything that was good, or rather has been good, about his season. Just how unselfish he was. It, I, I find it astounding that Randle got 44 points on 22 shots. Again, you take out threes, you take out free throws. That's essentially like he just went 22 of 22 from the field. Um, and it was because he was so unselfish. He, he had maybe, he, he forced one three when he was kind of feeling himself as a little bit of a heat check. Outside of that, Alex, I don't think there was one shot that he forced this entire game. He had a play where he had Trey Young switched onto him in the middle of the paint. And, and it was from about, I'd say, eight feet out. That's a shot that he's been making with, uh, to quote Clyde, impunity this entire season. And instead of taking it, he said, you know what, I got, I got IQ on the right wing. I'm going to throw it out to him. Three is more than two. He threw it to, or excuse me, it was Reggie Bullock. Um, and he threw it. Oh, no, it was IQ. I'm going to stop correcting myself. It was IQ. He threw it out to IQ. IQ drains the three. And, and he had a number of those on the night. Plays where he probably could have gotten a shot off, but instead was just looking for the next open guy. I don't think the five assists um, fully exhibit just how good his passing was on the night. Totally unselfish, 
totally efficient. Julius Randle is an all-star. He might be more than that. He might be an all-NBA player, Alex. Yeah, I would certainly vote for him to be like a third third team all-NBA at this point based off his play. I, I think, I mean, here's here's a question. What do you think the Knicks record is without Randle this year? Like if, if, if what we stupidly had wanted towards the beginning of the season, you know, like during preseason or even before that, you know, and, and Randall gets traded for whatever, like maybe a first round pick if we're lucky uh, in the off season and the Knicks roll with Obi Toppin this year and whoever else, like how big of an impact is that having on the Knicks record right now? I think they have something like six wins to eight wins, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably accurate too. I mean, I think Randall is reasonably responsible for about half of the Knicks wins at this point, um, if not more. And that's, a huge testament to him because a six win team is basically like the wizards right now who are more or less the worst team in the league. Um, I, I think that his impact on the Knicks is huge, you know, and he, it continues to get bigger almost with every passing game. Although sometimes, you know, we see the games where lately it seems like, you know, the Knicks have found out ball movement enough to not have to rely on Randall to, you know, initiate everything, which is good because that's going to keep his legs under him more if he's not having to, initiate every play and score on every play and everything else. But his scoring and rebounding numbers have been phenomenal this year, you know, and they just continue to be great on a night in night out basis. Like without him, they're pretty weak rebounding at the five spot. So without his rebounding, they'd be in deep trouble. A lot of nights, you know, in that department. And then, you know, without his scoring, they're losing out on, you know, 20 some odd points a game. It's, and then nights like this, you're just like, you know, without him, they, they lose this game period. You know, he was just, he was just too good. And he imposed his will over the Hawks. He imposed his will over a guy that was an all-star starter last year in Trey young. Um, you know, it was just a, a dominant effort and, and an awesome, awesome game from Randall. And honestly, this game for me, and maybe this is something that, you know, if you want to save it for like the next segment, we could kind of chew on and, and talk about then, but this game for me, finally, you know, the Knicks are now 14 and 15. The season is getting close to halfway over. I'm now officially on board with like, I'm ready for the playoff push at this point. I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm the, the Knicks beat the hardest part of their schedule, which was, you know, the, the first 15 or so games, they came out of that w- with a pretty good record. And now they're on to the part of the schedule where, for the rest of the year, things should not be nearly as hard as they were early in the season for maybe the first 20 games or so. I think there's I, I think they could definitely make the playoffs and potentially aim as high as like a six seed or something at this point. Let's I'm, I'm gonna chew on that, Alex. Why don't you uh why don't you tell me a little bit about Rock Auto and I'll I'll mull things over. Yeah, yeah, this is one that, that needs an ad break to think about. So we'll we'll pretend like <laughs> like we spend the ad breaks with the actual amount of time uh, of the ads to think these things over. But yes, I will let everybody know about rockauto.com. You know, with the ever-increasing number of makes and models of cars, it's impossible for those brick-and-mortar stores to stock all the parts you need. You know, think about it. There's how many makes of cars, and then each make has... I don't know, 10 models. And then from that, there's how many years worth, you know, it's just, you can't do it. It's, it's not feasible. And what always ends up happening is you go into the store, you go to order the part that you want. And then they say, we don't have it in stock. And you say, well, of course that makes sense. Cause look at how tiny the store is. Of course you don't have it. 
And then you order it and they say it's going to take a few days. You're going to have to come back to their store. So you can't walk out with it that day. And then eventually when you get the bill, you look at it and you say, wow, this is really expensive. I probably should have just gone to the mechanic. And, you know, the whole fun of working on your car just kind of goes out the window. That's where rockauto.com comes in. Let's say that you're trying to do a project on a Saturday. You can order your part earlier in the week, get it delivered right to your door, not have to make any trips to the auto parts store, and get it for the lowest price possible. Because rockauto.com has a great selection, a really easy to sort through menu system, and they're definitely giving you bottom dollar price on any part for your car. And they're, and they're all made for your car and exactly what you need to get your job done, along with a really good selection of different parts that you could use for your car. For example, I was looking at different tow packages for my car. Could have picked from a number of different hitch sizes, number of different tow capacities, all kinds of stuff, and gotten it delivered right to my door. So if you're interested in picking up some parts for your car or truck, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts that they have available for you. And if you decide to pick something up, right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. All right, Alex, I've, I've meditated I've consulted a number of gurus from across the world. I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to answer this question. I am not quite on board with you. In my heart, to be clear, I am. I was rooting for the Knicks to win tonight. I love the way they look. I think they are a playoff team. I think they will make the playoffs. I actually, um, and I I was I was very against the idea of the Derrick Rose trade. Um, which I proudly put on our on our social media account. And if you want to give people crap, that that was me. That was not Alex tweeting that. Um, and that was it. Was more so when I was under the impression that they were going to give up Frank Nilakina or Kevin Knox. At this point, with the qualifier that I'd prefer if they played Frank and made him a part of the future, because he's a good player and he'll be a good player somewhere else. Um, I would have been okay if they gave up either of them because they're not going to play Frank and he's going to leave this team probably never playing significant minutes for them, barring some significant injuries. Um, and Kevin Knox, who knows? Um, I like his shooting. I'm glad they didn't trade him. I think he still has a future in the NBA and on this team. Um, point being, regardless of what the circumstances were, that was a really, really good move for the Knicks. You can see how good Derrick Rose is for Emmanuel quickly. You can see how good he is for Ovi Toppin. You can see how good, even even when he has like spurts of like selfishness and overshooting and you like for a second you're looking at him you're like all right that's the old Derrick Rose oh no wait he's not he just got blocked by Clint Capella that's not quite MVP Derrick Rose he's really really good for this team and most importantly he's good for the development of the young guys he makes life easier on Emmanuel quickly and Emmanuel quickly needs some time where he's challenged where he's on the ball where things are as difficult as humanly possible he also needs some time to drain some open threes off ball because that's uh, on the best version of the Knicks whether it's in two years or three years or four years or five years, that's what Emmanuel quickly is going to be doing. He's going to be playing off of a dominant creator and and he's going to be bombing away threes and he's going to have some time running the offense. So you want to get both. Um, I say all that to say it's good. I I think from, from a developmental perspective, I think it's really good for the Knicks that they're, that they're solid and that they're probably a playoff team. I still, I I would be okay with like, 
I obviously I don't want anyone to get hurt. Um, I would be okay with them going on a losing streak. That wouldn't it wouldn't break me. I'd be I would be bummed in the moment, but mentally, long term, I still think that's ultimately what would be best for this franchise. You, you have a real future now in Randall, who looks like he's going to be an all star for the next couple of seasons, or or just a notch below that level. Um, R.J. Barrett, uh, he he had a great game tonight. And he needed to have a great game after he struggled for weeks and weeks and weeks. You look like you really got something there. At the very least, you have a plus rotation guy in R.J. Barrett. Um, Emmanuel Quickly, you look like you straight up have a superstar in Emmanuel Quickly. You need one more piece to make that all work. I know that's something we always talk about on the podcast, Alex. It's not a new thought for me. It's not a new thought from you. This team is still one piece away, and, and that's it's the most important piece. It's the main piece. You still need that big alpha dog creator. Randall is really darn good at it right now. I don't think he's quite that guy for the rest of his career. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if this is the best season of Julius Randall's career. He had unique motivation this year. He he put in an insane amount of work, and who knows? Maybe maybe he replicates that. Maybe he proves me wrong. Maybe he keeps this up. Um, I, I don't think Randall. I don't think anyone would argue that Randall's never going to be the best player on a championship team. I, I think he's going to have to continue this kind of trajectory to be the second best player on a championship team. We already know R.J. Barrett, or at least I think we know that R.J. Barrett is not that guy. He could be really really good. He could be a perennial All Star. He's not quite that guy. Emmanuel quickly, there's more of a ceiling there because he's so young. It's also new, and he and he's an off the he's a dynamic off the dribble three point shooter, which is the number one skill you want in in an NBA player or an NBA prospect or a young guy, whatever qualifier you want to put on it. That's the skill you want. He has vision. He has a ton of speed. He he has all the intangibles in the world. He could maybe be that guy, but that's far from his most out likely outcome. I'm talking about him being the best player on a championship winning team. That's not like you, you play out all you do the Dr. Strange thing. You have a billion scenarios for Emmanuel quickly. He's the best player on a championship team in maybe a million of those billion scenarios. It's not it's not going to happen very often. You still need that Cade Cunningham type dude. The Knicks best chance to get that guy because I think and I think you'd agree with me, Alex, going forward from this year on, they're going to be in the playoff hunt year after year after year. This is sort of their like one last crack at superstardom. I would actually argue you saw something kind of similar with one of my favorite teams, the Phoenix Suns, this past season, where with with the way Devin Booker was developing, the way Mikhail Bridges was developing, the way DeAndre Ayton was developing, with them going 8-0 and um, inside the bubble, you were like, all right, last year's draft, that was their one last chance to add like a big key piece to their team. And they blew it. They could have gotten Tyrese Halliburton or Devin Vassell, and they ended up taking Jalen Smith, who's going down the G League. The Knicks cannot afford to blow this pick this year, and their best chance of them not blowing it, the best chance of them striking gold, is still winding up in the top five somehow. And and that will more likely than not require top 10 lottery odds. It will certainly require them to not make the playoffs. So in my heart, I'm rooting for a playoff run because they're good enough for it. This is a fun team. They play extremely hard. Julius Randle is a star who deserves that stage to shine. But despite all of that, I don't think it's ultimately what's best for the Knicks future. So I'm going to say no, Alex. It was a big question. I went on a rant. I'm sorry, but those are all my thoughts on the topic. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna save my thoughts until we get back because I have a I have thoughts as well on this and and I I want to share them and then we could finish getting through the rest of this this general game recap too. But uh, why don't we let everybody know about BetOnline.ag? Right. Let's uh, let's do just that, Alex. Well, I'll tell you, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest to bet on all your sports action. You know, it's nice to hear that it's the fastest, but the fact that it's also the easiest that 
that is pretty compelling. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time, updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Those real-time updated odds are always interesting to me. I wonder, I gotta go look at some point in the near future if they have an over-under on Emmanuel Quickly's fourth quarter points, because I'm always going to take the over. I might start taking the over on Julius Randle three-pointers night in and night out. Bet online if those don't exist, get on them. These Knicks fans want to gamble on them. They want to make some money off of you. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook expert to get that money off. Use promo code Locked On. All right, and we're back to Locked On Knicks. Just a reminder, 2020 is mercifully over. It is time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. So, Gavin, as you just mentioned like in the last segment, I would concur that by the time you know, it, like that, the Knicks need another player, probably better than Julius Randle, if they want to ever. What? Well, uh, not probably. They definitely need a player better than Julius Randle if they ever want to win a championship. But I, I kind of think that they could still get that player, if not by, you know drafting them than potentially by trading for them because the big thing is that the Knicks have they they have a good amount of draft capital coming up they're going to have two first round guys this year plus probably like the first guy out of the second round if their first year of drafting is any indication I mean the jury's out on Obi but they knocked it out of the park with Emmanuel quickly and he looks like a guy that could be you know a, a fixture on the Knicks for years to come, or B, I mean, as much as painful as this is, think about a potential centerpiece in a big trade for a star um, if he continues developing at the pace that he's developing at. So, you know, the fact that they're going to have three essentially first-round picks this year when you consider that the Pistons pick is going to fall like just outside of the top 30. Um, and then, you know, they, they still have two first-round picks in 2023, that they could potentially move. They have all their own picks going forward. They have like a fistful of second round picks that they've accrued, especially over the last few months here. I think that there's a case to be made that, you know, by going this route, they're essentially setting the <laughs> Knicks fans will probably like roll their eyes now because now I'm going to, I'm going to invoke the, the devils, but they're essentially putting themselves on like a, a Nets trajectory right now. If you think about it, like the Nets went ahead and just made the playoffs, you know, and they did that because they were just like, I I mean, I guess there could have been a factor at play there that they didn't have their pick. Did they, you might know that actually, Gavin, did they have their pick that year that they made the playoffs? I think that was the, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, that might've been the first year they had their pick back. I think that was the first year they got it back. Yeah. So they threw caution in the wind anyway and just did that. And then ultimately it made them an attractive enough destination to lure a couple stars in via free agency. And the Knicks, you know, they have all their cap space going forward. They have like a whole bunch of draft capital going forward. They have a really good scouting staff going forward. I think I'm more okay with just shooting for the playoffs this year. Like just saying, screw it. The other thing that I would say is I don't think 
that this team can lose more than like three or four games in a row. Like at this point, I know what was the longest losing streak so far this year? Was it five? I think it was four, but maybe, maybe I'm off. Yeah. Four or five. I mean, it seems like that's about the limit of what this team can lose before it's, it gets back to winning again. And then, you know, the team also this, you know, this next team just seems to operate more so on streaks than anything else. Like it's like rip off three, four games in a row winning and then lose, you know, three or four in a row and then rip off three or four more and then lose three or four more. And that's just kind of how things have been going with them. But I think is, you know, barring an injury or something for Randall, which like, I really hope that doesn't happen. Cause I, I love watching him play so much. I just don't think they're, they're bad enough to go on like a 10, 15 game losing streak that would sort of tank their, their playoff chances and put them in that like top 10 lottery odds, you know, area. Um, I, I just kind of feel like at this point, the worst that we're maybe going to see out of them is maybe they end up like the 11 seed and are narrowly looking from the outside at the, uh, the playing games. But even then, I mean, I don't know if you look at the the NBA standings right now. I'm just pulling it up here just to see. I mean, they're currently now after today's win in the sixth spot still uh, at 14 and 15. Ahead of them, top of the conference is 18 and nine, the Sixers. Then 16 and 11, the Bucks. 16 and 12, the Nets. You'd say that's probably the cream of the crop. Fourth seed right now is 500. It's the Celtics. They're 13 and 13. Pacers, the fifth seed, also 500, 14 and 14. So the Knicks are literally like half a game out of the four seed at the moment. Then you got the Knicks at 14 and 15, the Hornets at 13 and 15, Raptors at 12 and 15, the Bulls at 11 and 15, Heat at 11 and 15, the Hawks at 11 and 16. And then you get into the real seller dwellers, which I won't read off all the records, but the Magic, the Cavs, the Wizards, the Pistons, all no good. I I don't know, man. I I don't think that they can get down to any lower than maybe 11, and that's only if the Hornets, Raptors, Bulls, Heat, Hawks, and Magic can all and eh, actually, you know, the Magic are 10 and 18, so that that's even kind of a stretch. Yeah, they, they have so only, many injuries too. Yeah, yeah. So that's like only if those five teams below the Knicks, the Hornets, Raptors, Bulls, Heat, Hawks can all outperform the Knicks for the rest of the season. And thus far, I mean, we are over a third of the way through and they haven't done that yet. Uh, We're pushing towards halfway through the season. I mean, we're at 29 games now that the Knicks have played and halfway is 36 this year. So I don't know. I'm I'm starting to just think that we're almost hitting that point in no return where I based off how they played and how hard the Knicks play every single game, the talent that they have. I mean, the Knicks really do legitimately just have a lot of raw talent on this team of, you know, Randall quickly, RJ Mitch, when he comes back, you know, in four weeks, um, you know, Rose that they just got, then they have like even Bullock, you know, has the ability to go off for six, seven threes in a night. And, you know, as we just noted the other day, shooting 40% from three now for the season. Um, Alec Burks, who you figure will, you know, break his slump at some point, probably he'll probably be like Wayne Ellington and break it right after the trade deadline. Um, but you know, he'll, he'll figure it out at some point and he's not playing bad basketball. Otherwise, you know, Noel providing the rim protection off the bench. Like there's just so much talent on this team that 
it's going to be hard, I think, for the Knicks to to actually be bad enough to miss the playoffs at this point. Yeah, and and I mean to be clear, I I, I said like I think they will make the playoffs. That's yeah. that's not my prediction. That's just if you ask me what is best for the Knicks going forward, I would say it would be to somehow go on a go on a skin. Well, and and it, I we think- are we are burying the the other potential scenario here, which is I don't believe Nick Nick Angstead that was on our show uh, to, when we were relitigating the Porzingis trade. I don't think the Mavs are like some lock for the playoffs. Yeah, I think I think there's a good chance they miss the playoffs. I, like, I guess I would just argue those. I like I wouldn't even consider those two scenarios related at all. Like I, I would want the Knicks to. I feel so weird saying lose because I don't I don't feel that in my in my heart. So maybe I should just go with my heart. In my heart, I'm like I want them to win every single night. Um, but it, yeah, but your brain says yeah. your brain says they could get potentially a, a franchise altering that talent they should they should hope draft. like that they end up in the top five. The Mavs just missed the playoffs and they end up with two top five picks and hubs. Then all of a sudden the Knicks like um, uh, our coworkers uh, John Hollinger and Nate Duncan recently did a ranking of of the top uh, 30 teams in terms of their future, like, like which franchise would you want over the next five years? The Knicks somehow end up with two top 10 picks. All of a sudden, are they, do they go from an off season ago, like 27th on that list to all of a sudden like eighth or something? Who, who knows? I, I'm just saying like this draft, I think is legitimately good enough. If the Knicks get really, really lucky to completely change the trajectory of their franchise. And they're already, again, they're, they're on a good route right now. I, I just think people are underestimating like this is an inflection point and an opportunity to really double down on that. And and I, I will note, I, I think where I go wrong on a lot of this stuff is I've I've never been an NBA player. I've never been an NBA coach. I don't know what it's like in that locker room. I don't know what it's like as a young guy to make the playoffs. And like you hear it from guys like Jason Tatum, like, yeah, that really helped me. That really made a difference. And that's it, it's something intangible, Alex. It's so hard to quantify. All right, would Jason Tatum be Jason Tatum right now if he didn't make the Eastern Conference Finals and dunk on LeBron as a rookie? Like if the Celtics went, let's just say they were the wor- the worst team in NBA memory, the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats, and they went seven and 59 that year, or whatever the 82 game equivalent of that is, would, would would Tatum be any worse now? Would he be the same player? My intuition is generally like I'm I'm kind of cold hard logic type of guy. My intuition is like yeah, Jason Tatum. I think he would be just fine even if they sucked their first year, and that, that's sort of how I feel about. RJ and quickly and Randall. Yeah, it'd be cool for them to get playoff reps. But in the NBA, even with the new weighted lottery odds, I just don't think there's enough of an incentive there to to lose in the first round versus potentially getting a top five pick. And and, and to that point, there's also a world where like making the playoffs and missing the playoffs, it, it's three picks away. And if it's 14 versus 17, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, get them those playoff games. So it, it's, it's a thing of fine lines. I don't believe any of this is reality. I think as long as Randall is healthy and they stay mostly healthy outside of Mitch, they're, they're ultimately going to make it or at least make the play-in tournament um alex we spent a lot of time on this hypothetical it was a good one i'm glad we talked about it um but we're we're missing talking about a bunch of good performances in this one primarily rj barrett who bounced back in a big way 21 points six boards three assists in 33 minutes what did you make of his night oh it was fantastic i mean it was clear i think that rj came out wanting to get himself back on track and I, I don't think that he forced things at all. He kind of just let things come in rhythm. He had some really nice, you know, possessions, really nice little moves that he showed off. One was like, he just sort of, Mike Breen described it as like in real time, it almost looked like slow motion. Um, he just sort of like, he he did almost like the quickly thing where he got his defender on his hip and then just sort of like, best way I can think of to describe it is like scooched his way, like along the baseline <laughs> until he eventually got all the way in. 
and it was like right at the hoop. And then Clint Capella should have closed in on RJ at that point because he was within, you know, the distance to do it. But instead, you know, I think RJ looked like, I think it was Noel that was in the game at the time, looked Noel's way and, you know, as if he might throw up a lob or something. And jokes on Capella, he doesn't know that Noel has stone hands. Um, but, you know, RJ looked that way and, and it sort of gave Capella the the inclination to stay with his man. And then RJ just took an easy layup because it was right there for him. Uh, so that was a beautiful possession. Of course, we already mentioned, you know, the two three-pointers down the stretch, which were big for him. Like, RJ's had some opportunities late in games recently and has not come through. This was like, I think, the first time this year that I can recall maybe I'm misremembering, but the first time in recent memory, other than like maybe his, his initial hot streak would like after the cold streak um, that he's, he's really made some, some big buckets down the stretch of a game. And he's been trusted to be in some games, not recently, which of course started, you know, getting the, the tabloids talking about like, Oh, is RJ getting buried? Like is RJ not going to be playing down the stretch anymore? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and he played in this game and made two shots that, you know, arguably you could put right there with like Randall's late game heroics too, as being, you know, maybe the two most important shots of the whole game made two three pointers down the stretch. Um, one of which got a bang out of Mike Breen and went three or three from the three point line, which, you know, is continues this sort of weird trend of RJ being either like nuclear hot from three or like ice cold from three. Um, hopefully he'll find a middle ground at some point where he can kind of his low watermark will be like 30% in a game or like 25% in a game and his high watermark can continue being a hundred percent. But, uh, at any rate, yeah, it was, it was good for me. A very varied game, uh, a very, a very good one just on the overall, I thought he played good defense as well that I already kind of lightly gushed about the the closing lineup, which featured him along with quickly Rose uh, Randall and Noel. And, you know, I thought that he was a key part of that lineup as well. And and really ironically kind of did what a guy like Alec Burks would be out there for, but hasn't been able to do lately because Burks is just Burks has been very cold in his own right uh, lately in, in games. So, you know, RJ kind of played that role, made the, the couple really nice spot up opportunities um, and just, yeah, I was, I was really impressed by him in this game. I don't know. I, I think I'm just kind of rambling at this point, so I'll, I'll pass it to you, Gavin. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have, I agree with, with everything you said. I don't know if I have too much to add on RJ, except for the fact that I, I loved like the very first possession of this one that he, he immediately drew a foul. I mean, I, I think RJ is at his best when he works inside and out and, and you can see, you can see the confidence build in him. But the great thing about RJ is even when he fails, he he rarely gets rattled by it. Like he he had before the two big threes, he airballed a shot from the from the foul line, and like not 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 a free throw, like a foul line jumper in game in rhythm, and he just he he was pissed, but he wasn't like a lot of young guys would be like, all right, I'm not taking another shot tonight after that. And he he just came back and and literally like worked out his demons on the court with how poorly he's been shooting from three over the last couple of games and how on and off he is from there in general. So. Shout out to RJ. Great night. Uh, let's let's talk about our God, Emmanuel, quickly. Um, another another big game for him. I, I was kind of surprised to see that it wasn't an exceptionally efficient night for him, just four for 11. Maybe it was because he, he missed a couple of his signature floaters and went 
four for eight from distance, four for four from the line. Still an inefficient night for Emmanuel quickly, 16 points on 11 shots. So that should tell you a lot. Also had five assists. Again, in just 22 minutes, it was another night where it was absolutely inexplicable that Alfred Payton, who somehow had one assist in 24 minutes and took 12 shots in 24 minutes, uh, played essentially the whole third quarter, quickly got that game with 245 left in the third. But I give I give Tip some credit because from that point forward, uh, Elf did not play another second and he he rode quickly down the stretch and the Knicks benefited from it. I, I was I was talking about it a little earlier with Randall, but you, you can you can see how much easier quickly makes his life. And when Randall shooting and when quickly shooting, I mean it's it's over. It, it, there's, there's, there's nothing going on. You could just see the chemistry between those two. And, and Randall was taking advantage against the Hawks because they had no one who could guard him. And because of that, they had to leave someone. And, and, and I've said this before, but teams, it, it seems like, I, I think it's going to happen less and less as teams like catch on to how good quickly is. But right now there's just like, it's sort of baked into your mind in the moment. All right, you can leave the Knicks point guard because the Knicks point guard is usually Alfred Payton. Um, and they're doing it with quickly. He, he's like posting someone like Kevin Herter and Quickly's man will come over to double and Randall will just say, all right, I'm just going to throw it right out to him. And Quickly will be standing six feet from beyond the arc. Like someone like Herter will like look over, kind of blink and say, he's not shooting that. He's not going to hit that. And then IQ will just drain it. Um, he had another one around like a stagger screen uh, where, oh, where, where, excuse me, he like, I think he threw it to Randall and Randall just threw it right back to him. He hit another deep three. Um, Rose hit him on a cross court dime. He was wide open on it. Shot clock was winding down. And again, that's sort of the, the magnetism of Derek Rose, even, even in a somewhat reduced state at this point in his career. Um, he's so explosive around the rim and so quick to the basket. You kind of got to stay locked in on him and, and he's going to, he's going to get quickly some open threes. He, he got him one there tonight. Um, and then after sitting the whole third comes off the bench, Rose, Rose spoon feeds him for another one, another super long three. Um, one of my favorite possessions of this entire game that didn't involve Julius Randle, uh, Rose, really good defense. We've seen this a number of times when guys try to go one-on-one with him. Rose was really good against Trey Young in the first half. And, and then Cam Reddish tried to face him up. Reddish absolutely struggling right now. Rose poked it away from him. Burks dives to save it, save it. Gives it to IQ. IQ dribbles up and just bombs a 28-footer. I wrote down in my notes, that's that's a Curry three. That's like a F you, get out of here. We're winning this game. I'm going to essentially just put my balls out on the court. And it quickly just comes down. Nails that. Um, it was, it, it was, it was just that kind of, that kind of night for Emmanuel quickly. And when, when the defense gave him too much attention, he made proactive passes out of it. A couple good lobs to Nerlens Noel, a couple good kickouts to shooters for three. It, it was just, it was a classic Emmanuel quickly game. Um, he couldn't have been much better. And, uh, you can tell I'm ecstatic about it. I, I just, I, I wish again, to your point, you, you were getting into this with the closing lineup, Alex, right at the beginning. I, I wish you got more time, uh, with the Knicks best players. Yeah, but I was actually really encouraged by the fact that Tibbs didn't make that last couple minute substitution to get quickly out of there too, to a degree. You know what I mean? Like I just kind of was sitting on pins and needles, you know, it, the, some of the guys started filtering back in, you know, from the start of the fourth uh, trickling down to the, towards the end of the game. And, you know, Randall got back in and I said, okay, well that makes sense. You know, obviously like Obi, you know, whatever he played 11 minutes, but he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily at his best in this game. Um, I think he had some defensive lapses that were pretty uh, pretty inexcusable and were worth getting him out of there for. Um, but, you know, so he comes out, whatever, fine. And then, like, RJ came back in for, I believe it was Burks. And 
then I started thinking like, oh crap, like, all right, well, you know, the next move is going to be, you know, in a minute here, uh, you know, Alfred and uh, Bullock are going to come in for Rosen quickly at like, I don't know, the three minute mark. They're going to come in totally cold and be expected to, you know, put this game away. And instead, you know, they kept, well, I shouldn't say they, it was Tibbs kept uh, Rosen quickly out there and, I was very encouraged by that. I, I liked that he was cool with riding the hot hand to that degree. And also, I mean, it sort of worked in the opposite way with quickly the last few games where quickly has been inserted cold at like two minutes and then expected to like hit shots and stuff. Um, after sitting like most of the fourth or whatever, whenever he gets subbed out from his, you know, from his relief stint for elf, they put elf back in and then quickly is expected to just like, you know, come in with two minutes left and can some threes or whatever. So it was a good strategy by, uh, by Tibbs in this game, I think. And yeah, I, I, I agree with everything. I mean, you, you detailed all the plays, you know, that quickly did. My favorite one was that super, super long three that he made where I was just like Clyde even, you know, remarked like something like, Oh, all he shoots is uh, uh, like 30 footers or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, man, he's, he's, shooting some long threes right now, but he just, he just has the onions to do it to quote our friend, Jonathan Macri, you know, he's got the onions and he just does it. Um, I, I was, so yeah, I, I was thinking about that a little bit, Alex. I think I would love to, uh, hopefully, uh, if, if, if we could be so lucky, maybe one day we'll get a manual quickly on this show. I, I just want to ask him like how long he's been practicing those long threes, because I think he could, he could be an example of the Curry and Dame effect where, you, you see someone like like Lillard, I think, was even inspired by Curry throughout his career. And he said, you know what? You really can't shoot that long. I'm going to work on it. And like I've heard like Dame talk about it. And he, and he's he's done it the last couple of years where he started like in, in pre-game uh, shoot around, like taking shots consistently from 40 feet. And, and, and it's that old saying, practice makes perfect. And I wonder if we're going to have a generation of guys, or at least I have been wondering over the last couple of years since Curry came on the scene, I'm like, are, are you, are you going to have a bunch of kids who see that this is plausible and then all of a sudden a bunch of people can do it because they've actually been working on it their whole lives when no one before Steph Curry thought to shoot shots like that with regularity. And I wonder I wonder if quickly is that guy because you, I, I, it seems like we're on the right timeline for it that like someone who was like a kid and who would have been able to put years into it and watch Curry for years and years and years now would just be coming into the NBA. And we've seen before quickly – um, I mean, Trey Young, I guess, is another great example. We've seen so few guys walk into the NBA with that shot already in the repertoire. Yeah, I was literally going to say, like, all you had to do was look on the other side to see, like, one of the first disciples of, like, the Curry school of becoming an NBA player, sort of. But I also think, I mean, one thing that's sort of interesting with that compared to, like, so previously it would be you wanted to be the guy who could jump the highest, dunk the hardest, you know, whatever. That, that used to always be like the measuring stick. And now three-point shooting has become like the en vogue thing. The thing that I think is going to be interesting, and this is, oh my God, this is like a huge different tangent. Maybe we could bring on like PD Webb or something to talk about this because uh, he's very into like things all the way back to the high school level and like and like how guys develop and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, there's this whole thing with like, not everybody can do Michael Jordan shit you know, like, or LeBron James shit around the hoop. Like not everybody can dunk it like crazy and contort their body midair 
you know, do all this sort of stuff around the rim. They used to be like the en vogue stuff. Like that was the stuff you wanted to do as an NBA player, be like Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan, like Kobe Bryant around the hoop. Like everybody wanted to do the sort of stuff that Derek Rose like kind of did when he came in the league because he grew up on, you know, Jordan, Kobe, all those guys and just wanted to have the fancy layup package and the thunder dunks and all that stuff. Now Steph Curry has kind of made like three point shooting the new like cool thing, quote unquote, to do. And but the thing with three point shooting is that technically speaking, you or I could shoot a 40 footer and, you know, hit the rim. You know, it's it's something that everybody can do. But I think that only the very, very, very best shooters can actually even with all the practice reps in the world, I think only the top, I don't know, two, 3% of shooters, like at the NBA level can take and make those shots consistently. And that's probably being generous, honestly. So I, I, I think it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how guys react to that sort of stuff. Like we saw also another guy, you know, that's just coming into the league this year, LaMelo Ball was doing that stuff like in high school. Like there's the famous video of him, like pointing to half court and then just like pulling up for a half court shot. And it was just like a totally normal looking jumper from him. And that was him, you know, like as a stick figure at like 15 years old, was able to generate the power and whatever to do that, which means that he's definitely practiced it. Um, But hitting them in an NBA game, I think, is a totally different thing and something that still is going to be a pretty exclusive skill set. Like, I I don't know if we're necessarily going to see a like an army of guys that can shoot from 40 feet out coming into the league in the next few years. Although I do think it's interesting in a general perspective, just to see that like it is becoming more commonplace for, for the more talented players, you know, those like 2% type players uh, that are in the the top tier of shooters in the NBA or have the ability to potentially be a top tier shooter in the NBA are looking at those shots as like viable options now and something worth practicing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I would, I would actually like to get PD on some point to, discuss that because it's I'm, I'm almost surprised there aren't more of them and I think it, it gets to your point that e- even with we're discovering more people than we ever have because so many more guys are practicing it but so few people have that I mean to your point like you were saying top two three percent in the NBA you look you look around the world like it's arguably like quickly shooting is borderline like one in 500 million if there's 16 other guys on the planet who can do it like it, it's a it's a rare, rare level of hand-eye coordination. And quickly, I mean, he, that, that's why the Knicks have something special. He has it. Uh, let's, uh, we we kind of hit on Rose already, um, and we're also 45 minutes in. So I'm, I'm down, if you are Alex, to, to finish up with some great, um, some great Clydeisms. Because it, was, it was a great night for our guy Clyde. Yeah, I wrote down a few different instances of things that Clyde said throughout this game. He was just hilarious. Like, actually, before we do that, all right, I'll just throw the quick shout out. Nerlens Noel had a pretty good game. He had some good moments. Six point, yeah, six points, four rebounds, two assists, two steals, three blocks. Like, continues to just rack up stocks like like a madman. Um, and had a couple of sequences where he legitimately like changed the course of the game. There was one point in the third quarter where the game was kind of slipping away and he had two blocks and I think like a deflection that I it was probably yeah, credited I, I wrote to it, I wrote it all down, Alex. Steals. He had he, yeah. he hit that jumper from the foul line, which we yeah. uh, never never thought we'd see. Uh tip out to get a rebound. Next possession he blocks Herder who like was going for a layup. 
Um, then uh, the Mavs, or excuse me, um, Atlanta got out in transition. He Skyler Mays tried to dunk all over him. He he like Clyde and like Breen were like, oh, he blocked it. He kind of he kind of got a piece of it. Um, but it led to Peyton getting a layup on the other end, which tied the game. The Knicks, if I'm remembering correctly from that point forward, never relinquished the lead. Um, rebound tipped around, tips it out to like someone so the Knicks recover it. Next possession on offense, tips it out. Um, it led to Peyton drawing a foul. And then like two, three plays later, uh, scores on an alley and then gets a putback dunk. Oh, that was like just crazy off of it. Or that was in the fourth quarter, sorry. Off that R.J. Barrett miss. That was, it, it almost felt like, he, he didn't do it, but it looked for a second because he hung on the rim. I thought he did like a honey dipper, like the famous uh, Vince Carter dunk. And I, I was just yeah. like, no way, no way. And then I saw, oh, okay, I didn't do that. But it looked like he got that high for a second. Yeah. So, shouts to Nerlens Noel. Fantastic game, I thought. It, he, he got a little bullied on the, the boards and stuff, and that's always going to be a problem. Like, Clint Capella is probably just a little too good and a little too big for him. But all in all, good game. Uh, good rim protection by Noel. So as far as the the Clyde-isms, let's see. I wrote down Clyde's favorite phrase for this game seemed to be hotter than July. I don't know. I don't know if he just picked that phrase up, <laughs> but like four times early in the game, he was saying like, oh, the Knicks are hotter than July, Mike. <laughs> and then finally, Mike like kind of acknowledged it and was like, yeah, July feels really far away at this point. And then I don't think Clyde did it again. So maybe he was just looking for recognition for his very clever turn of phrase there. Um, it's just there, like poking there was, Mike with like a little prod under the desk. Like, Come yeah. on, say something. Yeah. And then there was and then there was one point where uh Clyde was as usual. He's been Clyde's been very hung up on like all the money that was spent this offseason, I think. Like he's been making a lot of very like salty comments about like can't believe this guy makes that much money <laughs> and he spent most of the whole game being like Gallinari is getting paid you know 20 million a year to sit on the bench like he's been on the bench most of this year and then he's like and they gave Rondo like you know 7 million a year to sit on the bench and they gave so-and-so all this money to sit on the bench and uh and so then at one point Breen goes to Clyde like Hey, Clyde, you know, you're talking a lot about money tonight. What's going on? And he goes, oh, I'm thinking about retirement, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike just immediately goes, don't you dare. <laughs> and just left it at that. Yeah. Uh, then my final Clydeism, uh, probably the best one. Actually, okay, there was one other. I'll let you do the, the other one. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote that one down too, but I forgot to say it. That was early in the game. Um, but the, the last one that happened late in the game was uh, – uh, Skylar Mays was playing pretty well, which shout out to whoever it was that that pegged him as one of their favorite second rounders. Oh, it was, was that Wasserman? It? it was Wasserman. Wasserman had him really high. Yeah, that's right. Um, shouts to Wasserman for having him really high. Skylar Mays had a pretty good game, and he like made a three or something. And Clyde goes uh, very matter of fact and exaggerated. And it even took me a minute though to get it. He goes, "Yeah, he's amazing, Mike." <laughs> And then there was just kind of like an awkward silence. <laughs> and then you just heard like after a couple of seconds, Breen's just like, eh. <laughs> it's like, it was like all you heard. And then he's just like, he's like, you know, that took a minute, Clyde, but I got it. I got the joke. <laughs> and Clyde had a real, uh, had a real good time with that. Yeah. So it was, it, there was so many others too, though. This was like, Probably their best game of the season. It, I, it I think it was like, it was like a stand-up comedy routine. And I'll let you do the the best one, yeah, which I can't believe that I was really really generous. I, I genuine. That's like a real real show of friendship, and I I have yeah. acknowledging that. Um, all right. So so Nerlens is 
he gets the ball at the arc, and he doesn't, like, go into a shooting motion or anything. He just sort of, like, glances at the basket and pauses for a sec, almost as if, like, like some neurons fired and connected in his head. He was like, I guess I could. I'm pretty open. I could shoot. You know, I make them in practice. Like, they, they look good in practice. And, and, and Clyde, Clyde just goes, what? <laughs> it was the most exaggerated thing. And I was telling you pre-show, it was something that, like, like I would expect like if a current player or like, or maybe like someone recently retired, like Dwayne Wade or something was doing a broadcast or like De'Aaron Fox, like for my money, maybe like one of the two or three most charismatic players in the NBA, he was doing a broadcast. You, you would hear from him or, or just like a younger person being a guest for like 75 year old Clyde Frazier to be like, what? <laughs> when he sees that he's about, it was, it was so good. And it was such a genuine reaction. And then I liked on the way down, he just kind of got it together and he like snapped back to like normal Clyde. And he's like, you know, Mike Noel tantalized us. He had a notion. <laughs> it's just, it's just such a good, it's such a good sentence. And then the other one, uh, I got two more that you didn't mention. Um, the other one, this is subtle but really good. He said, "Now Trey Young walks to the basket." Dot dot dot. Literally, <laughs> that was that was pretty funny. And like, and he was just sharp. Like he, he's just much funnier than like like usually like. No, no offense to the to the older people in America. My dad is one of them, and he's he's still very very funny. But usually, when like an old person's funny, it's kind of like, oh, grandpa, look at what you said. You don't know what you're talking about. Clyde is like he's an incredible mind. He's so conscientiously funny for someone his age. It's just like bravo, bravo. All right, and then last one was like when he got when he got annoyed with. I uh, know like Breen was like, um, I want you to like write down like a list of like what grinds your gears. I think that would be a good good bracket and then and then like Clyde just hinted at that like Breen would be like one of the things on the list and Breen was kind of having fun with it and Clyde is just like the plexiglass is not enough folks (laughs) (laughs) yeah well he straight up said it he's like yeah my my uh co-commentator Breen was just like oh (laughs) (laughs) and it's so funny because they usually have such a bromance is that Clyde's like you know I've had there's been too many we've been doing this for 30 years I've had enough (laughs) yeah he's great I get it leave me alone (laughs) Yeah, it was good, man. It was good. It, it was like borderline stand-up comedy between those two in this game. So very, very good Green and Clyde game. And on that funny note, we've gone like 50 minutes now. So I think it's about time to wrap up this episode. Unless you had any other ones that you forgot, no, Gavin. That was, was there that, any that, other? I'm, I'm spent. That was, it was yeah. bravo. Clyde, as good as Randall was, Clyde was the MVP. Yeah, Clyde gets player of the game. Clyde gets the game ball, which is saying something on a night that Randall scored 44 points. Uh, if you haven't yet, I I don't know for sure that you could still squeak in votes, but try to uh, vote hashtag Julius Randall, hashtag NBA All-Star on Twitter. Give that a shot. Try to get him in the game because I think, I think today or maybe tomorrow is the last day to vote. And uh, he was very... It's going to be just a moral victory at this point, but I really want him to overtake Sabonis. And he was within like 10,000 votes last time. And it doesn't seem right that he would finish below Sabonis because I think he's had a much better season. So that would put him at like sixth overall, I think, in the vote total. So let's do that for Randall. Vote hashtag Julius Randall, hashtag NBA All-Star. But uh, until next time, this has been Locked on Knicks. We will be back with some more cool episodes for you guys this week, including a number of game recaps. Pretty busy game week this week. So we will talk to you all soon. Peace.